So when I say self-compassion, you know, it's not just like about bubble baths and go reading a book. It really is doing the work of finding support for yourself, finding ways to cope with these really difficult situations. And sometimes that means finding a counselor, finding a therapist and finding ways that you can be better in terms of how you want to show up because we can't make our person change. We can't snap our fingers and hope things that are going to be better tomorrow, but we can revisit how we want to show up in our relationships, how we want to be. And then of course, that's where the boundaries come in. Welcome to the Faith Inspired Podcast by Faith and Gather. I'm your host, Erica Dvorak. Join me and the Faith and Gather community as we become faith inspired to tackle every area of life. Career, faith, motherhood, loss, fitness, fashion, health, and more. Girl, we're going to meet you right where you're at, right where you need it. Keeping you one step ahead of the devil, armed with knowledge to fight your everyday battles and live a life faith-inspired. Come on, girl, let's get it. From a logical standpoint, we know that setting boundaries for ourselves is the right thing to do to live the life we desire. But it isn't always easy. For me, it's a lack of confidence. I cringe at the thought of looking straight into someone's eyes or hitting send on an email and waiting for the response. But boundaries are necessary to set for yourself and in your relationships. In 2017, coach and educator Lori Healy lost her brother to the battle of addiction. The loss of her brother changed her outlook on the disease and the course of her career. After spending most of her career in sales and marketing, Lori now provides insight and support for individuals and families with a loved one struggling with substance use challenges and disorders. Lori helps these individuals and families set boundaries with their loved ones compassionately so they can continue to love and healthily support them. Although your life circumstances may not be as challenging as dealing with substance abuse issues, the same evidence-based practices apply, no matter how big or small the boundaries are that you need to set. As you'll hear Lori share, she uses the same practices with her son, which have come in especially handy while they've traveled the country in close quarters in an RV this past year. So pull up your seat and learn the importance of setting boundaries, creating them, and compassionately communicating them in your relationships and with yourself. Let's dive in. Hi, Lori. Thanks so much for being on the Faith Inspired Podcast. So glad to have you. Hi, Erica. I'm really glad to be here too. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to be talking about boundaries today and more specifically boundaries with relationships. But before we start, just a little bit of background from you and where you really got this passion for families and boundaries and relationships. Absolutely. Well, we'll dive right into it. Um, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I have a 13-year-old son, and wonderful, wonderful parents, wonderful uh, siblings growing up. During that time, however, as a family, we were really stepping through the cycle of addiction, and we didn't quite know how to deal with that. We were ashamed There was a lot of stigma. We didn't really know where to go for resources. And so I watched my brother really struggle for about 20 years, um, starting in his teen years, um, all the way up into his early 40s, struggling with uh, a variety of different substances. 
And in spite of trying to help him find treatment and just to try to help him get on the so-called right path, um, we unfortunately lost him to the disease of addiction almost about five years ago now. And I think it was that turning point in myself where I kind of looked at that and thought, how did we step through this for 20 years, really, in in shame and silence? And I thought there's got to be a different way. And I think as part of my grieving process, I, you know, started getting really involved in the recovery community because I wanted to find out like what was out there for families and how could other families kind of avoid what we had to go through. So I really didn't understand it at the time, but it was just this path that I started to go down. And through that process, um, I was introduced to a really amazing woman. Her name is Pam Lanhart, who has done some really great work in the area of family recovery. And she just kind of took me under her wing and told me, um, you know, how I could get more involved, some trainings that I could do, and just to really get into a space that could help families deal with the disease of addiction in a really loving and compassionate way. And that's what I really wanted to do. And so I started getting the education that I needed. I decided to make a complete 180 pivot from a 25-year degree in marketing to head into this area of family recovery coaching. And so I've been doing that for about three years now. And it's just an honor to be able to come alongside families. I really wanted to help families understand that there are things that they can do. We don't have to describe to these ideas of let them hit rock bottom or detach with love. I think we actually need to lean in more with love. And everything that I do in my coaching is data-driven and it's evidence-based that shows when we can come alongside our person with love and compassion and healthy boundaries, that we can help them choose to seek recovery. Wow. That's just a remarkable turn of life mm-hmm. and how you took something that was so painful and something that you had kind of shame about and that you're able to help other individuals and just seek help and help them um, just get out of that that cyclical like shame, those shame feelings that we can just get so into, especially if we're dealing with something like you said for like 20 years and it, it's with our our family members or people that we love, or even maybe with ourselves too. And so, but I love the compassion aspect. Um, That's what we're going to talk about here today with the boundaries, because boundaries, I think people get so afraid of doing that. It can be very uncomfortable. And when I hear boundaries, I just, the visual that comes to my head is more like a wall, like just putting up a wall, I'm setting boundaries and like, just don't cross it. And there's this division where I think as we get into it, that's not really what boundaries are. You know, there actually can be really healthy and it can be a way of showing compassion and really strengthening the relationship that you have with your loved ones. And so why are boundaries important? Just starting off with that, like why are boundaries important, especially in our relationships? Yeah, no, I totally agree with what you said. There's such a great tool to understand how to use because they essentially help keep us safe. So you talked about this idea of a wall. I tend to think of more like fences because there's still some back and forth. And especially when we're in a relationship, we don't want there to be walls between us and especially the people we love, but there definitely has to be a line. And when we're in relationship with others, those boundaries help you define what you're comfortable with and how you would like to be treated by others. And so boundaries are so important because they really help us live in our values. And so the first thing we need to do before we even start thinking, what are the boundaries that I need to set? How do I communicate them? Is to think about what 
are my values and getting really clear on what your values are. So when I say values, maybe there's certain words that come to mind for you, but I like to think of those values like a compass because they help guide us in the direction of where we want to go. And so just to give you an example, so my top five values are speaking with honesty, living out my faith, spending time with family, doing meaningful work, and seeking out adventure. And I actually write these down. I keep them in my journal. I have a little screenshot of them on my phone because I often sometimes need to remind myself of my values, especially when I'm in a situation where I may be feeling dysregulated or values are really helpful when you need to make some decisions about what you're going to say yes to, what you're going to say no to, and how you're going to spend your time. So I know if I'm faced with a decision and this is going to take a lot of my time, I'm going to look back at those values and say, is this consistent with what I believe in and how I want to be because a value, it's, it's simply a way of being or believing that we hold most important. So if I look at that decision and say, well, this is going to take a lot of time away from my family. How much time does this start to compete with one of my core values? Or is this type of opportunity, is it consistent with my value of doing meaningful work? So those values are really important because they help us get clarity around what's important to us. So I even say like the first stage of really, even before you can go into boundary setting is understanding what your values are. Mm. I love how you said, I have to write them down and look back at them because sometimes you forget them. And that's so true. Like you can have this epiphany moment and look back and be like, oh yeah, I really do like that. Or that is how I want my life to be. But you just kind of let life and people and tasks and things take over and to have those in front of you to understand like this is why I'm setting a boundary and uh, making sure that you know I'm living life in a healthy way and with people in a healthy way because these are my values and they might not be somebody else's values but they're mine and I have to stay true to that absolutely absolutely because knowing those values that's going to allow you to go in and like you said stay true to my values and stay balanced and that's kind of where boundaries start to come in Mm. So when do you recognize that boundaries are needed? You know, is it for me, I think a lot of times it's like I start feeling this anxious feeling. And that's for me is when I'm realizing, okay, I need to start setting boundaries in certain areas of my life. But what are other ways that we can recognize that we really need boundaries in our life? You're right. So there's usually some sort of imbalance related to our wellness that causes us to just even think, I I just need to do something here. You might not immediately think, I need to set a boundary in this area. But there's those things that you have to be attentive to the way you're feeling. Maybe it's something like a physical feeling in your body, like your stomach starts to have the butterfly feelings, or maybe you're getting headaches more often, or you're finding that when you're speaking to your loved ones, you're really, your tone is not what you intended. Those can all start to be signs that there's some type of imbalance in your wellness. So there's something I do with my clients to kind of get this boundary setting started. What we do is we take a look at the eight dimensions of wellness. And now the eight dimensions of wellness were established by SAMHSA, which is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. And so they do a really good job of outlining, well, what are these different dimensions of wellness? And so think about them. They are, and I'll go through those eight if that would be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. Yeah. So the first one would be physical. And so of course that incorporates elements such as, you know, a healthy body. Do you have good physical health habits? Are you going to see your doctor and, you know, getting those checkups to make sure that your body is running in top condition and, you know, eating the right things and moving your body on a regular basis. 
Another one would be intellectual. So those are the, just the things that keep our brains active and our minds expanding. Spiritual, this can be a really broad concept and this can mean different things to different people, but it really represents one's personal beliefs and values that involves having some sort of meaning or purpose in our lives. Then you have the emotional, which definitely is an area that we all deal with and need boundaries in. And that's just, you know, that involves our ability to express feelings, to adjust with the emotional challenges that we have in our life and cope with the different stressors that come our way on a daily basis. Social wellness is, this is where you have those friendships, having healthy relationships with family, friends, maybe at work and with your, with your community, but really a concern for the needs of others and humankind in general. Occupational wellness is participating in activities that provide meaning and purpose. So this could be employment. This could be volunteer opportunities, anything that represents the interests and beliefs that you have. Another one is financial wellness. And of course, this relates back to satisfaction with our current situation um, financially and our ability to plan for the future. And then finally, you have environmental wellness. And when people hear that, they sometimes think about, well, the environment in general, but it's really places where we feel safe. Do we feel safe in our home? Do we feel safe at work? Do we feel safe in our community? And so this relates to the areas where we live, play, and work, and just really access to natural resources and safe spaces in general. So those are the eight dimensions of wellness. And one of the things that I do with my clients is I have them, when they come to me, they're usually in some state of dysregulation. And a lot of times it is emotional given the situation that we're dealing with, which is usually a substance use challenge within the family, and they're feeling you know, very unsettled. And so I have them rate themselves, like, where are you feeling on each of these eight areas? And when we start to identify that, we can start to see where they are on that scale. And when they're rating themselves lower, they're feeling like they're not doing so well in those areas. So for example, they might come to me and say, well, I rated myself really low financially because it seems like I'm spending a lot of money trying to figure out this issue or solve this issue. And I'm just not really sure what to do here. So that often indicates that may be an area where we need to set a boundary. So that's a really useful tool that people can use to start to identify, take that feeling of like, I'm feeling really unsettled. Well, where are you feeling unsettled? Why? Is it emotionally? Is it physically? And a lot of times they overlap. You know, one might lead to another. So identifying the root causes of those wellness imbalances is really important in this whole boundary setting process. And through that, are you identifying the individuals within those stories and within those eight? Are you identifying the individuals to set those boundaries? Or do you kind of start just with what you had said, you know, I'm dealing with an issue with these finances. Is it identifying the person that could potentially be on the end of those financial issues? Or is it just identifying that feeling and like just that core of it's because of I'm paying for X, Y, Z? So the situation at hand that's causing the imbalance, it might include another person. And often it does because when we're in relationship with people, certain things come up. However, the really important thing to remember about boundaries is boundaries are established to keep us safe, to help us live according to our values. And so we'll talk a little bit about like how we can communicate our boundaries to an individual, but it's all about explaining what I need. Here's what I need in order to feel safe. And so when we start to establish those boundaries and communicate them, sometimes the person on the receiving end may not exactly like that because as you indicated earlier, Erica, 
it's not according to their values, it's according to our values. And so it's a dance. I mean, we need to be able to say, this is what's important to me. Um, when a situation comes up that may be impacted by how another person treated you, we can explain to them, this is how I felt about this. And moving forward, here's how I'm going to deal with that situation. We're not telling the other person what they need to do, but we're saying with our boundary, here's what I've decided is right for me. And here's how I am going to move forward in this situation in order to keep myself safe or to allow me to live according to the values that are important to me. How do you set those boundaries then? So when you've identified those eight areas and say there's only one or two, or maybe you have all of them, Mm -hmm. I hope not, (laughs) but you know, in today's day and age, you really, really could, but you know, what, what types of boundaries can you set, I guess? And then how do you actually set those boundaries? That's a great question. So let's start with one that everybody can relate to. So for example, let's go back into the financial realm. We all have to deal with finances and money on a daily basis. That I think is a a non-negotiable. We all agree to that. So let's say that we are getting to the end of the month and we are feeling really stressed out because maybe we're not sure we're going to be able to cover the bills for something that we are on the line for. Or maybe we purchased something earlier in the month that we said we weren't going to do, but in that moment, it just felt good and we wanted that thing. And so we're starting to feel really stressed and we're identifying that I'm feeling unbalanced or unwell in the financial realm. So once we've embraced that, and of course, I think probably we all espouse to the fact that we want to live as financially well as we probably can. That's probably important to most people is to earn a living and be able to cover our bills and provide for our families, provide for ourselves. So we can say, well, what do I need to do here? You know, when I'm, when I'm making these decisions, how is it making me feel? And well, it's making me feel anxious. It's making me feel unbalanced. So what is it that I can do in this specific area to set a boundary for myself that's going to get me into the next month and not have me feel this way at the end of the month? So there's a number of different things we could do there. And this is where habits and routines are a really important part of our wellness. Because when we have habits and routines that allow us to keep on track with something or do something on a repeated basis, we feel good about that. You know, if we're trying to live a healthy life and we're eating more fruits and vegetables than we are cookies and ice cream, we're probably going to feel a little bit better. And so those habits and routines are powerful ways of us setting healthy boundaries. So in terms of going back to the financial realm, looking at that and going, well, do I have a budget in place? Do that could be one thing is I'm, I need to establish for myself that I am going to set and adhere to a budget and hold myself accountable. That's how I am going to deal with this. Maybe the next step for someone might be, I'm going to hire a financial coach, or I'm going to take a course or watch a video on YouTube that's going to help me eliminate any unnecessary spending. So the more that you can kind of fine tune specifically what's leading to that imbalance, then you can start to put solutions in place that will help you set that boundary. And then the biggest piece of the boundary is following through. And that's where accountability comes into place. That's where we really need to figure out, well, what obstacles are going to get in the way of this boundary? You mentioned earlier, a lot of reasons why we don't set boundary is fear. And that is very real. There are many reasons we don't set boundaries. And so we have to be really clear with ourselves too. All right, this is the boundary. This is what I want to do with it. Here's how I want to follow through. But what could potentially get in the way of me setting this boundary and following through? So what comes to my head is me setting these goals for myself and then I don't follow through with them at least one time. Mm -hmm. 
how do you allow yourself to be compassionate to yourself and kind of get back on the wagon, so to speak, just getting, you know, back on your, your goal setting, your boundary setting. How are you, how do you become compassionate to yourself? Because I think I am the worst critic for myself. Mm-hmm. This is a journey for sure. So self-compassion. And I talk to my clients about this all the time because we're dealing with some really, really emotionally sticky situations. And so it is a process and it is a process of looking at our past habits and patterns and how we really need to change our way of being. And again, it goes back to those values. So revisiting those values is one important piece of that. And just giving yourself some grace. A lot of times I'll talk to my clients about, you know, what are the things that are important to you that you need to calm down or that you need to feel recentered or rebalanced? And so one of the things that can tend to work well is just a simple mantra. That might be um, just saying to yourself, you know, I am enough. It could be a verse, a spiritual verse that you really like to bring you back to center, a life verse that speaks to your heart. Um, It could be a song that some people like to listen to. I know I have a couple of clients that love to turn on worship music as a way to just bring their spirits back up in a really, really um, dark and heavy time. So it just depends. That self-compassion, I mean, you say, how do I be compassionate to myself? I'm like, well, you have to show yourself self-compassion. And you're probably thinking, well, yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> but it is fine. It again, it is finding those tools and it is finding those ways of being. There's a really great researcher. Her name is Dr. Kristen Neff. And I just love her work. And she does a lot of work in the area of self-compassion. And we have to tell ourselves that when we're walking through hard situations, that, you know, that's part of life. You know, struggling and suffering is part of life. And we have to try to learn to lean into that space of being uncomfortable with it as one of the ways to get through it. And again, relating back to even my own experience with addiction in our family, I did not want to lean into that. I was, it was painful. I didn't know where to go with it. I was seeing other family relationships be stressed because of it. And I just... I didn't want anything to do with it. And so a lot of times we deny ourselves those emotions and we deny ourselves the struggle. And so leaning into it is a really important piece of it, along with the concept of we are not alone. And I think when we're walking through really hard things, especially things like addiction, mental health challenges, strained relationships, it sometimes feel like I must be the only one that's dealing with this. Nobody can be walking through what I'm walking through right now because it's so painful. And um, you just, you don't want to have to deal with the reality of that. So we isolate ourselves and we don't lean into our social circles. We don't lean into things that are intellectually stimulating for us. And we let that situation of suffering start to take over and start to tell ourselves stories in our mind. So a lot of this has to be overcome with self-awareness and that that resilience and working through that. So when I say self-compassion, you know, it's not just like about bubble baths and go reading a book. It really is doing the work of finding support for yourself, finding ways to cope with these really difficult situations. And sometimes that means finding a counselor, finding a therapist, and finding ways that you can be better in terms of how you want to show up. Because we can't make our person change. We can't snap our fingers and hope things that are going to be better tomorrow, but we can revisit how we want to show up in our relationships, how we want to be. And then of course, that's where the boundaries come in. Does that help? Absolutely. I think it's how you view yourself or how you view the situation itself. 
And I think as Americans, and maybe this is outside of America too, but we view things often with the lens of it's either successful or it's a failure. Mm-hmm. And if, at least for me, if I don't do things with my personality like perfectly, then I view it sometimes often as a failure where life really is learning. And then you and I have both been involved in startups before. And I think that's one of the blessings of um, the involvement with startup is like, they don't ever view anything really as a failure. It's all learning. You know, they're constantly just continually testing and testing and figuring out and they'll take what they they learned from what I would consider a failure, but then turn it into what I would consider a success, but it's never failures. It's all just learnings. And so with these boundaries, as you're developing them and you're gaining that resilience, for me, I think I'll try to view it not as a failure and then getting back up again. It's just, okay, what can I learn from that? You know, where was I emotionally in that? Where how can I value, evaluate the situation and learn from it? And then if I start feeling those same emotions or whatever it may be, getting my back into that same situation, I can recognize that and correct it before I get back there and just continue to learn. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of practice, lots and lots of practice to do this. And another important piece of this is just our ability to communicate in a way that's really healthy because we can set boundaries for ourselves, but unless we communicate those, the people in our lives may not know what we need. They can't read our minds. And so it's really, really important to do that. And I love, there's this quote by Dr. Henry Cloud, who does a lot of work around boundaries. And he says, when you are quiet about your boundaries in an effort to seem more likable or to avoid conflict, you will only become resentful. Mm. So a big part of the boundaries and then communicating them is getting yourself ready to do that in a way that is compassionate and kind. And so you were asking too about just like, well, you know, how do you do this? And what happens when you don't follow through? Well, you know, so the first thing you have to do, I want to say about boundaries is that in order to set boundaries in a relationship, you have to be in relationship with that person. You have to have a foundation and some healthy common ground because otherwise boundaries just come off as rules. It just is going to sound like that to the other person. So it's really important that you take a look at what that relationship looks like with your person and how you set these boundaries. The other thing is, is that when you think about, okay, I'm got to get ready to tell my other person, you know, how I'm going to act in a future situation, you need to look for a green light moment. For instance, with me, I have a 13 year old boy. We're getting into these teenage years. There's a lot of angst and drama that can come into that. And we both find ourselves sometimes at this, you know, heightened states of activity. And so I know that if the conversation starts escalating and I might feel my body, like my breath might starting to be getting short and I'm feeling a little bit dysregulated and I'm hearing the tone in his voice go up. I know that for me, I need to take a pause and I usually need to go into another room and I need to make sure that I am in a place where I can communicate something to him where I'm at a healthy place. And he's also at a place where he's going to be a receptive listener. So having the green light moment, both for yourself and that person is also a really another important piece before you even go into the boundary setting. What if you don't have the ability to go into a different room? <laughs> okay. And I say that because you right now are living out of an RV. Yes. And <laughs> 
I live in a very small house with many people and a dog. And so a lot of times, you know, you just, you can't leave the room for whatever it is. How do you then work through that Mm -hmm. and still stay compassionate? Because I think that's the hardest part for me is I'm a very, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I am an emotional person. I've gotten better as I've gotten older to be very aware of my emotions But at the same time, I also am working through, I used to stuff my emotions. And so that's that balance of like making sure I just don't stuff my emotions. And then one day just like, you know, let it all out to be able to like recognize and be appropriate with that. So what do you do that when you can't, like you are, you are stuck? Mm -hmm. Yes. So practice the pause and the pause can be different for different people. So even if you you can't get out of that space that you're in, and this can even happen a lot when we're at work, if we're sitting in a meeting and all of a sudden tensions are up and not like we can leave the room, you know, taking three deep breaths, taking five deep breaths, and just even focusing on your breath, just, you know, feeling the air coming in and the air going out. Our breath is a really powerful way of regulating our body and our heartbeat. So that can be one. It can be maybe just closing our eyes and using that sense as a way to get grounded. Another way I like to use this, and this is a pretty familiar way of getting grounded is, you know, what's one thing I can see? What's one thing I can hear? What's one thing I can taste? What's one thing I can touch? And what's one thing I can smell? And so just even taking a moment to do that sometimes, looking around the room, being present in your body gets you back to the present moment because otherwise we're letting these stories start to cycle through our head and we're building ourselves up. So those are some ways if you're in conflict with another person at that time and you're feeling like this is going down a path where I don't want it to go to be able to stop yourself and say, I'm not in a space right now where I can have this conversation. Can we try this again in five minutes, in 30 minutes? Can we try this tomorrow? Whatever amount of time that you need to kind of collect your thoughts and probably allow that person to collect their thoughts as well is another great way to do that. And I've definitely had to do that. So going back to the example with my son, I've had to practice that pause and, you know, step outside or I'll often say, I'm not at a place where I can have this conversation right now, but it's important to me that we work this out, but let's try again. What might be good for you? So just being able to use some of those communication skills too, and recognizing that the other person is probably feeling some prickly feelings too. That's super helpful. Super helpful. Thank you. So once you've done that pause and you really have collected yourself, so to speak, Mm -hmm. how do you start to communicate the boundaries in a compassionate way? And really for me, I think it's the confidence to do so. I find myself a lot of time, even with the people that I live with, if I need to ask them something or I need something, like I just, it's hard for me to make like the eye contact. So mm-hmm. it's that, that that's a confidence piece. You know, I just kind of like say it without looking at them. That's part of not having confidence in it. Mm-hmm. So how do you have confidence and be compassionate at the same time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the communication styles are really interesting because, you know, you're your own unique person, the people you're communicating with, they're unique and they have their own communication styles. So you do have to find what works well for you. Some people really are good and want that eye to eye contact. Other people like to talk, you know, in the car side by side. So just you have to find what's right for you. So that goes back to, you know, having that green light moment and realizing what works for you. So the other thing you want to do with the boundary. So let's assume you've already identified, you know, what your values are, where you're feeling some imbalances, and you've decided that you need to set a boundary in order for you not to get dysregulated down the road. So I'll just give the example with my son again. What I would do is I would wait for a moment 
maybe the morning time, because we know that morning is good, maybe after breakfast. And I might sit down and, and you know, we want to just open with empathy. You know, maybe it's it sounds something like, hey, you know, I noticed you've been working really hard on your schoolwork this week, and I really appreciate that. So that's where you kind of you open with the empathy and understanding. So you kind of get that person to also take a deep breath because what we don't want to do is go right into, all right, I need to tell you that I have, you know, here's something I want to share. So that opening with empathy and understanding. And the next, what you want to do is you want to really share how you feel about a situation. You know, you want to combine it with maybe what has happened in the past and specifically what are the facts of that experience? So I might say, you know, when you spoke to me the other day and you sounded really angry, I felt unsettled. I felt like I wasn't being respected. So you can use facts of a situation that happened, right? When you came home an hour late, I was really worried about you. So you want to keep the language focused on your feelings and how I feel. We don't want to shame, blame, or guilt the other person. We don't want it to come out like, you always talk to me in a negative tone. We want to stay away from those those types of words, the always, or you never listen to me when I'm talking to you. We want to always bring it back to how I feel because those are your emotions and you should be affirmed and validated in how you feel. So honey, the other day when you raised your voice at me because you were angry, I felt really unsettled. Then what you need to do is you're going to communicate your boundary and you're going to keep it simple and concise and you're going to explain how you're going to follow through. The next time we find ourselves in that situation and you start to raise your voice at me, I am going to leave the room. That's your boundary. You're not telling them what they need to do. You're not saying, you know, when we use these words, you can't talk to me that way. Well, we can't make them do anything. We can't take that away from them. We can control our reactions and our responses. We can't control our person. And this is what is just so core to the the coaching work that I do with my clients to help them understand we can't change your person as much as we want to see them change their behavior. And in the cases of addiction, seek treatment or seek some type of support. We don't have that kind of power, but we do have the power to set our boundary that's healthy for that relationship to communicate that in a compassionate way, and then to work to stay true to ourselves when those situations come up. And I I know that situation will come up with my son again, because we're humans and, you know, we, we have emotions. And so I know it'll come up again, but if I continue to be consistent, oh, I hear your voice. I hear you getting angry and I feel really unsettled when you talk to me like that. So I'm going to go in the other room. Let's have this conversation later. If I do that consistently over time, that is going, there, our person is going to start to recognize that. They're going to start to understand that. And then we're also going to feel good too about how we are being true to ourselves. Making it about you and not making it about them. I think that's where I have probably gotten it wrong in the past having that view of, you know, I need to change them or the the behavior will change if I tell them how they need to change. Mm -hmm. But you're saying it's really, you're changing your behavior. You're changing the, I'm not going to allow you in the case of your son to sit here and yell at me and make me feel uncomfortable. I'm changing my behavior and I'm just going to leave the room and not allow you the opportunity to do that. In return, 
that would hopefully change their behavior. Exactly. And the key is, is with the kindness and compassion. We don't have to be yelling at them. We need to use words and communication skills that are positive. So good. So insightful. Really, I took away a lot (laughs) from that, Lori. Thank you so much. Absolutely. You know, I think we just so often, at least I do, forget about setting boundaries that we have the power to do that. We have the power to change our lives and do it in a way with compassion and somewhat a little bit structured too. Um, And then we'll eventually feel just more fluid. Once we set these boundaries, it'll be very uncomfortable at first. You know, we may not have the confidence, but as we continue to do it, we continue to learn. We'll be able to learn from that and just be more confident. Before we leave, before we stop, I just want to give you an opportunity to let the listeners know where they can find you. And if they have areas, especially if they have families, if they're dealing with someone that they love that has addiction, or they believe that you could help in any way, please provide that information. Absolutely. The very best way is my website, lauriehealy.com. And from there, people can sign up for my newsletter. I do uh, a variety of workshops that people can um, attend virtually to try and learn these skills. So I actually just wrapped up a four-week workshop on better boundaries. We'll be doing that one again down the road. Um, And there's another one called Small Changes, Big Results. And that really dives deeper into the communication skills, dives into how do we set values, how do we use our superpowers of communication to really change the dynamic in our relationships. Um, And we also dive deeper into self-compassion because that's an important piece. And so how do we really do this? Why is it important? But people can go there, sign up for the newsletter. You can also find me on Instagram at Healy. And I'm out on LinkedIn too. And I'm always just sharing advice and resources and education on those social channels to help people walk through the disease of addiction in a more loving and compassionate way. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Lori. It's just been such a treat to have you on and just share your knowledge and really just appreciate you sharing your heart with the listeners and taking something like you had said that was just so shameful and painful and creating something that can be just so hopeful for other individuals. And so just want to thank you for being on and and sharing that with me and the listeners. Oh, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure to talk to you today. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel equipped and confident to start setting boundaries with myself and the people in my life. Remember, boundaries are good for you and good for others. So set them with confidence by remembering your values and communicating them compassionately. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Faith Inspired Podcast. Now get out there and start setting some boundaries. Congratulations to saying yes to yourself. Fill it up your cup, feed in your soul. If you want more, head over to faithinspiredpodcast.com for show notes and links to all the goodies mentioned in today's podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep you faith inspired. Faith Inspired.